Hi everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. Regardless of where in the world you're listening to this podcast right now, I think it's fair to say that the whole world is just feeling different. We are operating under increased pressure, and every day that goes by is feeling more like a week. More than ever, our organizations, leaders, teams, and people like you and I will need to be resilient. That's why we've dedicated an entire episode to the topic of resilience, as well as made a series of resources available just for you. Head to culturefirstpodcast.com resilience to get information about our emergency response template, as well as the playbooks that we're going to be discussing in this episode. My aim as a host is that by the end of this episode, you'll have the stories, the actions, and the inspiration that you need to be able to lead during this difficult time. All right, let's get started. Culture first. 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 I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. Welcome back to another episode of the Culture First podcast. If you're familiar with this show, then this episode is going to sound a little bit different than maybe what you're used to. I've had several listeners and members of our community message me saying how much they really appreciated our last episode, where we focused on the topic of compassion fatigue. In that episode, you know, we talked about things like organizational trauma and dealing with loss at work. Many of you thought that we actually recorded that show in response to what's happening in the world right now. What you might not know is that we actually recorded the majority of that show back in 2019. Now, myself and the team here, we thought that these were topics that were just important to cover, but we had no idea about the timing of the episode and why the content was going to be so relevant and needed. But for this episode, it's going to be different because you're not going to be hearing from multiple guests, and there's not going to be overlapping stories and ideas, and you're not going to hear me do a lot of voiceovers. It's a much more intimate, raw and vulnerable discussion about what's happening in the world right now and why we all need to be resilient leaders. Now, it's also got a lot of warm conversation and, in my opinion, a bit of humour and levity that I think we all need at times like this. So let's get started with my conversation with Tanya Luna, the co-CEO of Life Labs Learning. All right, so today I'm joining conversation with Tanya Luna. Tanya is the co-CEO of Life Labs Learning and her work revolves around three loves, learning, psychology, and surprise. So Tanya, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Now, firstly, did I get the pronunciation of your name correct? US, Australia, UK, Ukraine, it kind of depends on what region you're in for me to be able to answer that question. (laughs) I knew who you were talking about, so that's the important part. That is usually what we aim for when we say someone's name, but I I asked that specifically because my mum's name is Tanya. Oh, really? Yeah. I go by Tanya, but I answer to many different versions of that name. There you go. So, like, I have fond memories growing up of her saying, it's not Tanya, it's, you know, Tanya, and uh, she spells it T-A-N-I-A as well. And I'm, oh, wow. Yeah, and I'm Damon, but people say Damon, or in America, if I try to order a sandwich, they call me Diamond, which makes me sound <laughs> very uh, shiny, but um, I, I just go by Damon. I've learned to answer to Tania and Tania as well. <laughs> 
Uh, the things that we uh, the things that we have to deal with when we've got one of those names that people try to get creative with. I would say this is the biggest problem in the world right now is the mispronunciation of our names. Yep, and we're dedicating the whole episode to that. <laughs> <laughs> but first, uh, before we dive into some of the other parts that we're going to be talking about today, I'd really just like to start with a check-in. So, like, what is some good news that you have to share with me today? Uh, the good news is that people are wonderful. On the flip side of all of the fear and the anxiety and the physical distancing that we're seeing, I'm just seeing this incredible amount of social closening where people are showing up to really create these new communities in on each other and to look out for each other. And I have felt more hope in humanity than I have in a while. Yeah, it's been, you know, in... In times like this, to see how people are coming together and how people are supporting each other and that um, even just little things like strangers smiling to each other more in, in the street, uh, you know, six feet apart, obviously, but, you know, smiling. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. It's the, the good kind of contagious. So for our listeners who are wondering, okay, where are you guys recording from? So I'm I'm recording from my new uh, makeshift uh, office slash studio slash living environment here um, from my bedroom in San Francisco. It sounds very glamorous. Uh, where, in, where in the world are you? I'm in Warwick, New York, which is in, in Hudson Valley, uh, about 50 miles north of New York City, in my makeshift recording studio for, where I've, I've purchased at an antique shop of what looks like a, I think it's a podium and it's become my standing desk. Amazing. Yeah, I have loved seeing the pictures of um, makeshift standing desks. Um, most of them are probably giving IT departments absolute nightmares, knowing how many um, laptops are potentially falling off right now around the world. But it yes. is fun to see the creativity. <laughs> That's true. That's the other thing that I feel very positive about these days is just seeing the ingenuity and creativity that, you know, like they always say, necessity is the mother of invention. And we're just seeing so much inventiveness. So when I was looking back at the uh, like original idea for this show and the subjects that we wanted to focus on, there was no way we could have imagined what the world would look like in 2020. But like the overarching premise of, of the Culture First podcast is still the same. Stories for a better world of work. And, you know, more than ever, I, I feel like we, we need to be focusing on, you know, our relationships at work and, you know, certain industries while... You know, there's certainly going to be an economic impact to what, you know what we're facing right now. Certain industries are still going to be asked to scale their culture in ways that is you know so hard to imagine. And you know, we need to still be talking about you know love in the workplace and designing with empathy. And infinite mindset organizations are going to be getting through this. And then you know, the last couple of episodes we've been doing a deep dive into like soft skills like compassion fatigue and empathy and talking about things like organizational trauma. So you know, when I look back at like you know the episodes that we've put out so far, it's like we need like all of this so much right now, but in no way could we have really envisaged like why we why we needed them. I personally just think they're important topics to talk about, about our experience at work. But looking back, I certainly feel like, um, you know, they are definitely important things to be talking about. I think about it almost like why why do we spend so much time investing in our physical health? It's not because you need to be healthy every day. It's because a, you need to be healthy for the long term, but then when health really, really matters is in times of extreme stress or in times when you're physically at risk. And in the same way, when you have a healthy organizational culture, that's going to be your absolute best asset in times when there's incredible strain and challenge. 
And I feel that so much with my own organization at Life Labs Learning. Every day, I feel so much gratitude for the work that we collectively put into building this amount of connection and openness and transparency and trust, because that means that we can go so fast and be so adaptive right now. And that's because of all the work that we put in building it when there was no emergency, when there was no crisis. Exactly. Like putting culture first is not just for the good days when you're, you know, ringing that stock exchange bell or announcing an acquisition or, you know, like hitting your numbers. It's also like you're putting culture first to give you the resilience for surviving those those tough days, which is um, what we're going to be diving in into today. And then before we get into the resilience part of this conversation, um, one of my favorite questions that uh, we like to ask in meetings at Culture Amp is, you know, if you really knew me. And if people really knew you, they would know that you're an expert on surprise. <laughs> and like these last few weeks and months have been full of surprises. And like when I even say the word surprise, I usually think of it in a positive way. But right now, the surprises seem to be hitting us more like obstacles. So from your perspective, how do we see these surprises as opportunities and not obstacles? Goodness. I think part of it is acknowledging that it is an obstacle, right? I, I think there's a danger to trying to find the silver lining of everything, even though that's a tendency that I certainly have. But part of it is allowing ourselves to mourn a little bit, to grieve, to go the future that I imagined, that's not going to happen. And that's okay to allow for that loss and for that sadness to wash over you. I think that's actually really an important part of letting go of an attachment to a vision that all of us had for whatever the next day will be. And then once you've given yourself a little bit of time to do that, then you go, okay, but really that was imaginary anyway. Nobody knew what the future was going to be. And just as I can imagine negative things happening, I can also imagine positive things happening. And so what if this is an opportunity to reset? What if this is a blank slate? What if this is a fresh canvas? And it's really stepping into the unknown with an attitude of hope and kind of a mindset of adventure that in some ways many of us needed because when the future, when we're good at predicting the future, we start to become complacent. We start to feel like one day blurs into the next. We stop collecting meaningful experiences. We stop challenging ourselves. And so I think part of it is accepting and saying goodbye to the predictability. And the other part of it is saying, okay, in many ways, I'm accepting the reality that we've always had, which is the future is never knowable. And let me step into today and step into tomorrow with this attitude of wonder and an openness to finding out what's going to happen and asking yourself, how can I do, how can I do the best that I can with the resources, the tools, the knowledge, the values that I have, that's kind of, if you allow it to be a really exciting place to be. I feel like we could just stop the recording here. Everyone listen to um, that that last paragraph from you and the world would already be a better place because I think <laughs> so much of, of what you just said there is like getting to the heart of, I think, a lot of the questions and concerns that people are having right now. But, you know, like what you said is, you can't turn an obstacle into an opportunity if you don't first acknowledge that we are actually trying to deal with obstacles right now. And, um, you know, as you were saying that, I was like peering over into the corner of um, the room that I'm in and like seeing like, um, you know, books by Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and uh, books by Ryan Holiday called like, you know, um, the obstacle is the way. But like 
to actually go down that path and to have that kind of, you know, mindset, you still need to acknowledge that right now we are dealing with obstacles. And, you know, I think one of the key parts of being able to respond to knowing that you have to say that, yes, we are dealing with obstacles and being able to see that silver lining. And I would certainly say I fall into that category as well. But like, you know, part of that, the thing that gets tested a lot is resilience. And, um, you know, that's what I really wanted to spend some time talking to you about today because, um, you know, firstly, Life Labs Learning is just like one of my favorite companies in the world. Every every single employee I've ever met from Life Labs, I, I always leave that conversation going, how do I spend more time with these people? Um, <laughs> always and, to spend more time with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so great to have you as a culture and partner and to, um, you know, we've done so much great work together over the years and, you know, your your, your training and your programs and the way you think about the world um, certainly matches to so much of Coltrane's philosophy. And, and it's to no, no surprise that we see, um, you know, our list of customers and yours overlapping so much because, you know, so much of what you put out into the world is at the heart of building a culture first company. Yeah, absolutely. I've, it, in fact, I, I've been in touch with Coltrane for what I think like six going on seven years now when you were just starting out. And, and in some ways it feels like our businesses grew up side by side, being influenced by each other and influencing one another and also influencing the communities around us and being influenced by those communities. So it's, it's been really wonderful to be kind of part of this cohort of organizations that are really putting culture first as a way of doing business. I got into this industry in terms of organizational psychology and organizational development so long ago that I remember when I first brought up the world, the word company culture with my former CEO, this is a long, long time ago, he said, oh, you shouldn't use that word. It sounds like you're talking about you know, ethnicity. So let's not use the word company culture. <laughs> and that's now you hear culture and it's everyone's talking about it. Everyone, we might not be good at defining it, but everyone has kind of a shared understanding of what it is. And it's definitely a priority for such a huge number of organizations that you would think that this is the way it's always been. And looking back 10, 12 years, it wasn't. This is new. Yeah. <laughs> I could do a whole episode on uh, being a work culture evangelist and what people might think it is. And uh, I, I get pitched a lot of guests for this uh, for this podcast. And I think a lot of people just see culture in the title and don't realize that this is a show about work. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've had, some, I've had some interesting guests pitch, um, but um, maybe we'll do that as an end of season wrap up episode. But one okay. thing that I think, you know, has really united both of our businesses is to use our expertise, our platforms and, um, you know, the, the resources that we have to actually better the world of work. And recently, Life Labs put out a playbook to help, you know, manage anxiety across the organization and increase resilience. And, you know, a lot of leaders will have people looking to them and looking to them for support. And, you know, th this can either be a crippling moment as a leader when you might realize that you don't know what to do, or this could be an opportunity for it to be your finest hour, you know, to really show up for your employees. And, you know, when I say leader, I want to be clear that you can be a leader and have no direct reports, but be leading through your behaviors, your influence, your communication style, or you might directly have a team who is looking, you know, to you as their leader. So, you know, I'm hoping that by the end of this episode that our listeners will have the stories and the actions and the inspirations to really make this their finest hour. So, you know, this might seem like an obvious first question to talk about resilience, but like, firstly, just why is this so important right now? Mm, I think the way I picture resilience is 
thinking about the most, the, the trees that are safest in really intense weather in a storm. And it's not the trees that are the strongest. It's not the trees that have been around the longest. It's the trees that are able to be flexible. And when the wind blows, they can move with it. And then when the wind stops, they can right themselves again. And that's really the situation that we're in right now where we don't need to be strong. We actually just need to be nimble and adaptive and ride the wave, so to speak. And that's really at the heart of resilience. The document that you created is uh, broken up into like terms to know, uh, company level interventions, and then resilience and anxiety reducing tips. And I'd love to go into each of them. So like, you know, firstly, uh, with the terms to know, there was a couple that stood out to me that I'd like to cover first. And then I would love to see if there's any that you would like to maybe go into a little bit more, more detail. But the first one that really caught my attention was this idea of a VUCA environment. And, you know, right now we are operating in one. So, you know, can you explain this term and why it's so normal to feel like we don't know how to handle this? Yeah, it's a military term. VUCA stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous VUCA. It's a term that's been around for quite some time, and it's the perfect term to describe what's going on right now because volatile, yes, constantly changing, uncertain, yes, we don't know what's going to happen next, complex, there are all of these factors acting on one another, and ambiguous, it's not clear how we should use the data that's in front of us, even when we do have data in front of us. So it's almost like this FUCA term was made exactly for this situation. And it's used in the military because, as you can imagine, the VUCA environment is a norm in times of conflict. So it's a, it's a really useful term, I think, because it allows us to recognize that we are not in a regular environment. We're in a very different kind of environment. And the tools and habits that we use in times when things are predictable, consistent, clear, are a very different tool set that we need when all of that has changed and there's volatility and uncertainty. And, you know, this environment that we are operating in has changed a lot of the norms that we've become used to. So, like, a lot of organizations are, you know, losing in-person meetings. They're not attending, you know, either internal company conferences or external conferences. Uh, they're, you know, get gatherings of all types are being changed rapidly. And, you know, when we lose this type of um, communication and this type of style that we've become used to when gathering... Um, one thing that we might lose is also the context of the language and the context of the communication. So how does like the lack of context uh, impact things like emotional contagion, which was another one of those terms that really stood out to me um, and specifically in the workplace? Yeah, well, we're context creatures as people. Nothing anyone says or does makes any sense until we understand the context. If you can imagine watching someone crying what does it mean? You have no idea unless you zoom out and you see, are they at a wedding or are they at a funeral? Same exact tears, but completely different interpretation depending on the context. And we've been going along, even in rapid growth startups, where it's a little bit more VUCA in general. So in some ways, startups are better in these environments than organizations that have experienced more predictability. But even in those environments, this is unprecedented in terms of what we're facing in the world and in our organizations. And so it's so important to acknowledge and recognize that the context has changed and start making really explicit context statements, which is actually quite simple, but difficult for our brains to remember to do, especially if you factor in the fact that individuals are all working remotely 
Now we have to make even more context statements. And a context statement could just be something like, this is why we're doing this. I'm sharing this because the reason this is important is it's a tiny linguistics tool. It's called framing in linguistics. And it allows the person to have a frame around the rest of your message. Without that frame, the message is full of the potential for misinterpretation. I can think of an example even from this morning where like I had to find myself in that where I was providing a written update, you know, to a team and was like, you know, I'm, I'm sharing this update um, to let you know about a decision that I've made, um, you know, and then I used an even overstatement to kind of talk about like I've made this decision uh, with this framework of, you know, this even over that, knowing that both are, are important. But like, here's how I'm operating, you know, with speed uh, right now based on some things that are happening. And like, you know, even like just providing that little bit of context rather than just saying like, I am doing X, Y, Z, like, you know, saying I'm doing X, Y, Z because and the reasons I've made these decisions that you might, you know, and one of the values at Culture Amp is trust people to make decisions. And, you know, that's embedded into our culture, but also, you know, now more than ever, that context or even like something super simple, like a smiling emoji reaction sharing an update on slack at the end to like say like hey like i'm sharing this from a place of happiness or joy and like not so seriousness i love that i think that's so important even just if you give yourself the mission of making this the month of because where everything you share you add a because at the end of it and the emoji point that you brought up is so important too what we know from research is that when we don't have paralinguistic communication or body language cues we tend to see written language as more negative than it's intended to be, especially in times of stress where, and anxiety, where we tend to see things as more threatening anyway. You add on top of that the complete change in routine that people have and the lack of those paralinguistic social cues that help you understand the intention without the person stating the intention overtly. And all of a sudden, people are panicking, they're misunderstanding each other, there's conflict. So it's because statements. And then it's also you can even take a step back further and start almost realigning on a shared language. It's like you have to, this is an extreme version, but an example would be saying, hey, from now on, this is red. Do you agree that this is red? Okay, good. Let's call this red. And that sounds really silly, but that's what we have to do when it comes to things like, hey, from now on, when you're busy and I'm busy, how should we communicate that to each other? From now on, when you're available and I'm available, how should we communicate that to each other? Little things that we took for granted, we just have to make the implicit explicit. So they were two of the terms that stood out to me uh, when I was reading the document. And obviously, you know, we'll be making this a, this document available to everyone listening. But, you know, if there was one more that you would like to share, um, which one sort of stood out to you? Well, so maybe I'll touch more on emotional contagion because I think that is a really, really important one. This is also known as a concept called affect spiraling, where I feel a certain thing, you and I interact, or maybe you even just see me, and now you start to feel a little bit of that thing, which is beautiful. It's something that allows us to build rapport. It's something that allows us to essentially function like a herd as humans, because we can look around and very quickly determine if we're in a safe environment based on how other people are interacting. This is what makes us laugh when other people are laughing. It's sometimes why we're moved to tears when other people are crying. And in times of high stress and anxiety, it also means that several people being stressed and anxious makes us more stressed and anxious. And I think that's something that we all have to consider because going back to VUCA and the complexity aspect of it, this isn't just a few people being stressed because of different scenarios and different situations. 
it's all of us being stressed because all of us are stressed and all of us being anxious because all of us are anxious. And that's just really important to recognize because without that recognition, you might not take a step back to distance yourself from the contagion of that negative emotion and reset so that you can now infuse positive emotion if you have the capacity for it, if you have, if you can do it, you know, in a way that's real and authentic. If you're conscious of that, then you can use that same emotional contagion phenomenon to help others start to feel more positive things, whether it's just injecting some levity in a conversation so people have the permission to laugh or being open about feelings of gratitude or uh, even just being vulnerable, especially if you have any form of leadership or influence. Vulnerability in the face of so much fear and anxiety delivered in a really constructive way also creates a really positive contagion where people go, okay, so I guess I don't have to carry all of this fear inside. I could be more open to it. I can, you know, kind of, we can together grieve. We can together mourn and and address the fact that things are really, really bad. And then together we can move forward and support each other, not just in our actions, but in the emotions that we show one another. I'd love to maybe get your, uh, your take on this because like when I was hearing that and like the idea of like maybe, you know, you've heard this term emotional contagion, you know, that like, you know, there can be this kind of flow on, on effect and, but you might not feel comfortable like being the first to share something, not wanting to maybe change the container of the conversation that you're having. And, you know, I think um, more than ever, a lot of our conversations internally right now at Coltramp are starting with a lot more upfront time to really talk about like more than just like a one word check-in, like, you know, you know, how are you coping right now? Like what's going on and creating some space for that. And, um, you know, I'll lean in into my own vulnerability here. Like I was on a, I was on, on a meeting the other day and, um, you know, I kind of forgot that my camera was on for a bit and I forgot the messages that like your face can share. And, Mm. you know, I was quite worried about some things that was happening and I was trying to make some decisions around, you know, my family's back in Australia. I'm living in the U S like, do I, do I stay? Do I go? And I was like reading all these things and being hit with all these different updates. And, you know, then like um, someone on the call like messaged me and was like, you know, your face is telling me a story right now. Like, is everything okay? And then um, because we started that meeting with that time for that space, you know, I did feel comfortable sharing, but like, what, like, what do you say to someone who might say that? Like, if I'm the first person to like, you know, share something that like is vulnerable or that I'm not okay, you know, like, is it at risk of saying that, like, I don't want to spread that emotional contagion onto others? That's a really great question because the goal certainly is not to hide those emotions either. In many ways, revealing what you're feeling is a way to actually help other people reveal what they're feeling and be able to bring that up. There's a psychologist that I love named James Pennybaker who studies how people recover from trauma and from highly stressful experiences. And one of the things he's found in his work is that individuals who have negative symptoms following a traumatic event, even physical symptoms, it's not because of the trauma. It's because they've kept the details of the experience or particularly of their feelings or any shame that they feel a secret. So secrets and emotional suppression is toxic. It really is. It's a horrible thing for our brains and even for our immune systems, actually. So the message certainly is not to hide those emotions, but one thing I think you can do so that you're not, um, kind of impacting, um, the 
the mood or the climate around you in a negative way with your feelings is to actually just share a little bit of context around it. So even saying something like, you know, hey, just so you know, for this meeting, I'm so sorry, I'm I'm going to be as present as I can, but I'm worried about my family right now. And actually putting words to it takes some of the anxiety and the fear and the uncertainty away and invites other people to disclose some details about what they're experiencing. Um, if you're worried about it derailing the whole conversation, then just making a quick comment about it and saying, we don't have to talk about it. I just want you to, you know, just wanted to briefly share so that it's not distracting. I'm going to do my best to be present here. Um, that's one thing you can do. And then, you know, depending on the environment you're in, depending on who you're with, maybe the way to start that conversation isn't immediately to disclose, but to just ask an emotion-based question, which I think we should all be doing much more of. So maybe it's not, Hey, how are you? It's, how are you feeling? How are you handling this? How are things going? What's been on your mind? And the question alone creates space for that conversation. Yeah. And I think with those questions, one thing that like back in Australia, when I was living there, I uh, co-founded a men's mental health charity. And a lot of it was around, you know, asking questions that allowed men to actually really talk about their feelings and their vulnerabilities and mental health in, in a different way. And one of the techniques um, that I would, you know, sort of encourage people to use is when asking those questions is like, don't be afraid to ask the same question twice, because sometimes we need to hear it twice to have the permission to give ourselves to answer it once. I love that. What are some of your favorite questions to ask in these types of situations? Um, yeah, like I think, you know, like what's what's pulling you away from presence right now? Mm. Um, you know, like in, it, it's a very specific way of saying like, hey, like we know that there's things, but like rather than me assume I know what's pulling you away from presence, you know, it might, it might be actually no, like I'm with all my family and we're all fine. What's, what's pulling me away from presence is knowing that my team members are struggling or knowing that, you know, we've made an, um, you know, an announcement that we have a deadline to hit and I don't know whether we will. And like, so it pulls us out of assuming what we know might be on someone's mind and allow us to actually all kind of say, like, if something was to be pulling you out of presence right now, what is it? And then you can see whether there is um, conformity around what's, you know, pulling us out or whether it's something different. And then it helps us better understand um, how we can work with those people. I love that question. That, that makes me think of three things that I'll, I'll try to summarize briefly because I can also talk about this all day. I think it's so important. One is the power of affective labeling. There's so much research on emotion regulation. That's my own background in psychology that shows that just putting words to what you're feeling reduces the emotional intensity of what you're feeling. It's really hard for us to feel something and talk about feeling it at the same time. In fact, even talking about how happy we are reduces the intensity of our happiness. And the flip side of it is true as well. Talking about the fear that you feel, the anger that you feel reduces the intensity of that emotion. So one is there's a big difference between walking around, showing something on your face, showing something, letting people kind of read your, your blood pressure which is, by the way, something we humans can do. We're like these biofeedback machines. Your blood pressure goes up, my blood pressure goes up. So just starting to put things into words, I think is so important. Number two, if you are in a position where you can do this, try to create an outlet where people can freely, without questioning whether this is the right space to do so, have a space where they can talk it out, have a space where they can process and make sense of things together. Whether that's a Slack channel, a lot of companies are doing that, or um, you know, a, a virtual standup 
we're doing that at Life Labs for 15 minutes a day, at least people can pop into a room and talk to each other about whatever they want. Um, whether that's in your one-on-one with your manager, with your direct report, or, or five minutes at the beginning of every team meeting, allowing people to recognize that there is a space for that can help people understand, okay, it doesn't have to just kind of burst out of my mouth at random times. There is an outlet for it. There is a space for it. And, and then the third thing that I was going to say is actually an example of an outlet like that is something that we sometimes do at Life Labs in our strategy team meetings, where before we start a meeting, we'll actually each spend a minute or two saying, is there anything distracting you right now? And the goal is not to problem solve. The goal is not to um, try to change the topic, to focus on the thing that they brought up. It's just an opportunity for us to sort of put words to those things that are pulling focus, as you said, to have empathy for one another. And then actually, once you say it, you can kind of let it go. So if people are like uh, hearing these examples and learning these terms, obviously, you know, it's one thing to learn them and understand them, but you really need to action them to actually create change, which is why I loved the next section of the document that you put out there was an idea box for people. And, um, you know, I think we just touched on some of this terminology, but, you know, the one that really stood out to me was, you know, as a people leader, see yourself as an effect role model. So like, Double check your internal comms for emotional tone and impact and really help managers and leaders and the influences, you know, those people without teams, but who are leaders inside of the company realize that they're playing such an important role as the like emotional ambassadors as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and I would say it's, it's effect and it's affect. What is the effect of your affect? <laughs> and the, I can't overstate this enough. Words carry so much power and so much meaning. And just being thoughtful about how you're communicating a message is really important right now. So even noticing when you're using too much negatively affected or negatively valenced language, you know, if you're talking about words like crisis and pandemic and risk, if your goal is to push people toward action, then those words are fantastic. If your goal is to just inform then those words can unnecessarily create this over excess of anxiety. And so working with the HR people ops and executive communities over the past few weeks, we actually crowdsourced what is, what's the language that you're using in your communication. And some of the words that people brought up around things like focus on health, focus on, you know, calm preparation. We've been hearing a lot of abundance of caution, uh, thoughtful, smart action, responsive, adaptive, all of those things are very much true in descriptions of what's going on. And yet they don't create this extra injection of stress in our bloodstream that's going to make us potentially make hasty, unproductive decisions. So that was the uh, that was one of the actions that really stood out to me. And I think we did touch on some of that already, you know, um, was there another um, sort of action from that idea box that, you know, really stood out to you if you are leading a team right now um, and you're trying to increase the, the resilience of that team? Yeah, I would say the most inspiring thing I've heard in running these events with the people ops community and, the, you know, the, the executive community is people recognizing that they don't have to figure this out alone. And not only does that mean that if you're a leader, you get support from others it also means you're inviting others to have the space to problem solve together, to contribute together, to have a feeling of meaning, to have a feeling of purpose. And like I think about in some ways, 
these events that we've been holding for our community, they're kind of like an elaborate coping mechanism. <laughs> they're also completely aligned with our values and what we believe in at Life Labs and our, our just total dedication to helping people if we have a way to add value, which right now we're fortunate enough that that is the case, but it's also been incredibly healing for us, for our entire team to go, right, what can I do? I can make a difference here. I can help people. I can create tools that will make people's lives easier. And so in the same way, if you're in a leadership position, just actually saying, who can I involve in coming up with ideas, whether it's ideas for ways that your team can get together and play and connect, or maybe it's even ideas around how you can pivot your business and make adjustments so that you could notice opportunities in the midst of all of the bad news, really getting other people involved is going to help you and it's going to help others. The other, other section that you had there, so obviously, you know, we've got the, you know, from a people leader side, but also, you know, companies as a whole are expecting, you know, to actually be thinking about what are they like changing? What are the strategies that, that they're going to change? And, you know, what is a company wide level response you know, to actually what's happening, you know, with the aim of trying to build a more resilient organization. And um, one of the suggestions that you had in there that, um, you know, really stood out to me was, you know, like a cadence of predictable updates and rituals and routines. And why I love this one, um, you know, for many reasons, but like if you ran, um, if you ran Culture Amp's text analysis over my, you know, the, the first season of the Culture First podcast or my interview questions or my voiceovers, you'd hear me say things like rituals, symbols and communication probably like a thousand times per episode. Um, <laughs> I did. I did that analysis. It was actually a thousand and seven times. That makes a lot of sense. That and apparently actually are my like go-to words. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And like, so th this one, th this one really speaks to me because um, it, it, I think what we touched on earlier was like not operating with assumptions right now, like actually making sure that there are, you know, regular updates and rituals and routines that keep a level of, you know, whatever this new normal is. And, you know, one example from CultureAmp is our CEO, uh, Didier Elzinga, you know, has been doing um, at the end of his day in Melbourne, Australia, a video update to the whole company in our um, CEO Slack channel, where it's a couple of minutes and it's him talking about either things that are changing inside of the company, things that are top of mind for him, fun updates like he doesn't know when he's going to get his next haircut and we're going to have to all deal with that. So it's just, it's this nice ritual that we now all have. And it's, you know, it's really bringing the whole company together. So like, you know, when I looked at the company-wide um, initiatives, that was the one that really stood out to me. I love that. You mentioned before the work uh, that I used to do on the psychology of surprise, which I did with my co-CEO, Leanne Renninger. And the thing that really struck us in our research on individuals who are really resilient in the face of uncertainty and change and constant surprise is that they actually had very strong foundations of predictability. I think of our brains as being on this surprise seesaw where if we don't have enough surprise, that's terrible for our brains. That means no learning. That means no challenge. It means no growth. We're bored. You know, we're stuck in a rut, maybe even starting to feel depressed. On the other hand, you have way too much surprise and all of a sudden you're chronically anxious, you're chronically stressed. So in many ways, going back to this question of resilience that you had, it's about having, having, it's about really creating these deep roots so that in the face of all this uncertainty, you have a few anchor points and it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't take a lot for our brains to feel like there is predictability. So things like 
knowing the date on which an update will come, having a ritual for how you start your meetings or end your meetings. Like at Life Labs, we have in each office, there's a different musical instrument that people have that we use to kickstart our company-wide meetings. That's this like playful, silly ritual. Now everyone's home. And so everyone's kind of just making their own instruments, whether that's a a can of LaCroix that I have on my desk right now that I'm going to use for our team meeting, or maybe it's a bowl that you're eating lunch out of or, you know, whatever it is, we're still maintaining that ritual and adapting it because now more than ever, we need that feeling of continuity and consistency. We've got to control the things we can control and we've got to make the things that can be predictable as predictable as possible. I'm looking forward to seeing the um, orchestra of sounds that's going to come out from that uh, your next uh, meeting. That I actually have a tiny xylophone in front of me. Do you want to hear it? Let's do it. Okay, one moment. I feel more at peace already. <laughs> I've, I've come ready for this meeting. <laughs> so my final uh, two questions um, is really going to focus on. Right now, like I've always had a tremendous uh, amount of empathy for anyone in the people ops or human resource function. You know, I I, I studied in that space. I, I worked in that space. I know that, you know, uh, on any given day, there's so many different like competing priorities from the like, what do I need to do right now? Is there a fire I need to put out? What is the strategic thing I'm looking at? How am I looking at employee data? Like how do I create a world-class employee experience? Like I know there's so much and, you know, now more than ever, we're turning towards those departments with questions and, um, you know, looking for help and guidance. And, you know, you mentioned that you did a bit of a research study of people leaders and how they were handling the situation. And I'll make that research available to all of our listeners as well. But was there one particular big takeaway after like looking um, at that, that really stood out to you? I think it's two things that I heard among individuals that are coping well. Number one, and this goes for really anyone in a position that requires emotional labor, frankly, at this point, right, where you're carrying your own feelings and other people's feelings to some extent is don't do it alone. Find your community, find others. And I think the other piece that's really important right now is just really accepting the fact that no one knows the right answers. We're all doing the absolute best that we can. This is not the time to let your insecurities eat away at you where you go, oh, do I have the skills to do this? Do I have the knowledge to do this? No, no one does. (laughs) A coworker of mine the other day, we were all talking about how are we doing? And she goes, well, this is my first pandemic. So it's been really fascinating. And we're like, it's everyone's first pandemic. So in some ways that's, that's beautiful to let go of this pressure on yourself to show up and know the right thing to do. And instead really shift to how can I be as present as possible? How can I listen as well as I can? How can I inform people as well as I can? But don't try to give yourself the responsibility of having the right answers. And then finally, you know, um, so many like dynamics about how we experience our work has changed and getting feedback from your employees, you know, right now is, is so critical, not just about like how are they coping and responding, but just like how is this going to actually be changing, you know, things like uh, measuring inclusion or, you know, performance during a time like this or your engagement levels and, um, you know, economic uncertainty also leads to changes in, you know, whether people might see themselves staying at the company for a period of time. So my, my final question is, from your perspective, why is it so critical to be actually asking for employee feedback right now? Because now we literally have no idea what every person is going through. There are some people that are going to be taking their company meetings out of their bathrooms 
and that's why they're not turning their camera on. And there are maybe folks in the trans community that are, someone mentioned this the other day in one of these community sessions that was so important for people to hear. Maybe you can't have your camera on because you're waiting for electrolysis, right? Or maybe you're not able to participate in a meeting because for whatever reason, you don't actually have an internet connection at home. These are things we cannot know because there's now this huge step that we've taken into people's personal lives and where people are working out of their own homes, where their families are, where their personal lives are. With strain financially, that's going to create new challenges that we can't predict. Everyone's lives are so different. Everyone's priorities are so different. And you just can't know those things unless you ask. And you just don't know until you get the feedback. So being really willing and open to hearing how are people handling this? What are their unique challenges and obstacles? Um, there's been a lot of that. This is another topic that came up in the community conversation yesterday is we've been really worried about parents having to stay at home with kids, which of course is a tremendous challenge. But people have kind of forgotten to think about individuals who live alone who are stuck in their homes with no one to interact with. We wouldn't know that unless we started asking people questions and getting feedback. And that's the beauty of being able to have a culture where you create space for people to be honest about what they're going through and what they're feeling. Because if you don't know that the problem exists, you can't address it and you can't fix it. And as soon as you create a pathway for that communication, for that information exchange, now you're giving the opportunity for a solution to exist. I'm going to be leaving this conversation uh, full of more uh, joy and optimism and definitely feeling more resilient. Um, you know, so many of the stories that you shared and, um, you know, the science behind what, what we're feeling right now, you know, this is why I wanted to make sure that we, you know, create a space for this conversation to share with everyone else who's going through this. So um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for this because I know that we all we all need to hear this right now. Thank you. And maybe just as a final thought, I think we don't give ourselves enough credit as a species for our resilience. This is what we've evolved for. We've evolved for a VUCA environment. We've evolved for an environment where there was no toilet paper. There was no predictable meal. There was no internet. So just trust that you've got the resources, just even in your biology, to be able to recover, to be able to thrive in the midst of all of this uncertainty. I think that is the perfect way to end this interview. So trust ourselves. We will we will get there. And people like Life Labs and Culture Ramp and these stories, we're all here to help and we're all in, in this together. So Thanks again for having this conversation and I really hope all of our listeners are going to walk away feeling more resilient. Thank you. Here's my xylophone again. A big thanks to Tanya Luna from Life Labs for speaking with me. I mentioned it during the interview, but like I honestly, I honestly just felt a lot better about what we're all facing and uh, felt like I was a lot more equipped thanks to my conversation with her. And I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and I know it was a bit of a different format but I would still love to really hear your feedback. Uh, let me know, you know, which parts of this episode or the stories that we shared really landed with you and please share them with me. Uh, you can use the hashtag Culture First Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever, um, and I'd love to join the conversation. So a big thank you to Tanya because 
One of the things that I think uh, we spoke about, you know, towards the end is like why it's so critical to keep your employees and your, you know, your teams in the loop during these times. And that you want to make sure that, you know, their concerns are not only being heard, but they're informing the strategies that you are needing to change or implement. So that's why the team here at CultureAmp, um, our people science team, they actually created a free template with an extended emergency response survey, as well as a special COVID-19 pulse survey. So if you're wondering what questions you should be asking of your employees during this time, head to culturefirstpodcast.com slash resilience to learn more. A reminder that all of the resources that we mentioned in this, in this episode, including the playbooks and those templates, are all available at that link, culturefirstpodcast.com slash resilience. I want to say thank you so much you know, for actually joining and spending time you know, with us listening to this episode. I know that all of our time is being stretched and we're all being asked to you know support our teams in many different ways but i just want to say like thank you and also to be grateful to yourself for hopefully spending some time with us to make sure that these resources and that these stories can help you navigate these uncertain times so i wish you nothing but health and strength and i look forward to having you back for another episode of the culture first podcast soon